This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. There you are. Welcome to church. Or maybe I should say welcome to church light. You know, every holiday weekend is that way. And I was um, just praying to God and realizing that, you know, we all have a divine appointment here. And you're not here by accident this morning. And God has offered to meet you here. God's offered to meet me here. And uh, so we're going to do some wonderful learning out of God's word this morning. And I know that it's going to touch uh, parts of where we live with very practical applications of how God would speak into our lives this morning. So I want to welcome you into that process, even if this is your first time here. Uh, Every Sunday morning, uh, we gather together and we uh, ask God to speak into our lives. And so even if you just came to check out church, This morning, give God a chance to speak into your life through His Word. Because today we're going to talk about something super, super, super practical. It's not very popular, but it's real practical. Um, That ought to pique your interest just a teeny bit. On the inside of your uh, program, you will find in there a sheet of fill-in-the-blank notes. So you might want to pull that out and begin to fill that out with the rest of us because it will help you learn, plus it gives you something to take home that you can read through later, and I know that if you'll do that at least once during the week, uh, it will help just kind of drive home what you're going to learn over the next few moments. We're in the middle of a series called Reality Check, as you can tell, and today we're going to talk about the basic requirement for following Jesus, and and, uh, there's a lot of wonderful irony and insight into this basic requirement of following Jesus. Um, why? Well, I'm kind of a sports nut. So I watch a little sports on TV. And I've noticed that whether it's on TV or the radio, prior to every game, typically it's the play-by-play guy or gal who will turn to the color commentator and say, okay, what are the keys to the game for each team or each player? And when they ask that question, what they're really wanting to know is, what is it that is so crucial and so important to this team that if they pay no attention to it or don't do it, no matter what else they do right, they will not win? In other words, this is the basic bottom stuff. Well, this morning we're going to talk about something that is Jesus' key to life. And he's basically saying to us, this is so important and so vital and so crucial to your life that if you don't pay attention to this, no matter how many other things in your life you do right, you won't win, you won't succeed, and life will not be the experience that you want it to be. So let's go straight to the core teaching and read about it because it's a very interesting story that took place in Jesus' life. His disciples began arguing about which was the greatest. How old do you think these guys were? (laughs) 
Sounds like a conversation some four or six-year-olds would have, right? But actually, they were full-grown men. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side, and he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Now, whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Now, that particular story is told. There are four accounts of Jesus' life uh, in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the names of the books. And that story is told on multiple occasions by all of the authors. Why? Because it is the key to life. And I want to kind of restate it in language that I know you can get and I know you can understand. So kind of here's the very first point I want to give you this morning. And that is, the key to my life is my power meter. Okay? I want you to read that out loud with me. Would you please? Ready? The key to my life is my power meter. Now, without looking at the screen, say it right to me. Ready? The key to my life is my what? Power meter. What's a power meter, you asked, right? Of course. Well, the power meter is its something that you and I came born with. And it's on all of the time. It was on when you came into the church this morning. It's, it, it's invisible, but if you could see it, it's that thing that every time we meet a person, especially if they're brand new, we put the power meter up next to them and we get a power reading. Okay? Right away. It's on when you go to the store and you're looking to buy shoes. You take your power meter and you wave it over the shoes. And you realize that those shoes are ugly. There's no power there. Those shoes are beautiful. Yes, there's power there. Your power meter is on when you're driving down the road. Honda Fit, not much power. No offense to any Honda Fit drivers, alright? Okay. Honda Accord, a little more power, right? Acura, more power. We have that, we have that power meter going all of the time. It happens in our subconscious mind. We continually read people by that power meter. It just always seems to be running. You know what's amazing? Studies have shown that children at a very, very early age, when they first go to kindergarten, they already have their power meter on. They already have become aware in life that those who are beautiful get more attention than those who are not as beautiful. Those who are smart and intelligent get more attention than those who struggle to learn. Those who are talented get more attention than those who are not quite so talented. Those who are rich and have lots of toys get more attention than those who are not. Even little kids have their power meter on. It's always on. Advertisers know that. That's how they sell us things we don't need. You know? Right guard, anybody can buy right guard and wear it. But if you buy axe for men. (laughs) Women will flock 
to you. The power meter is peaked at that point, right? It's, it's that over and over and over again. It's that human power meter. Now the disciples kind of went like this. Which one of us is the greatest? Do you think their power meter was running? Absolutely. Let's put it on Peter. What a, get a reading out of Peter. Here's James. Get a reading out of James. John, Judas, dude, you got no power, man. Peter, you got lots of power. And so they're arguing about who has the highest power meter reading. Which And Jesus flat out is going to tell them, guys, you got to take a different look at life. So I thought it would be fun this morning to go back and take a look at the history of the human power meter. Where did it come from? Because in order to understand why we tend to do the things that we do, we need to understand how we got there. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter in the very first book of the Bible. says this, that God created human beings in His own image, In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and He said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now without getting in real depth into that, basically God said to Adam and Eve, the very first people He created, that there are two major purposes in life. Okay? These are the two major keys, and here they are. The keys to life are productivity and relationships. Let's take relationships first. He said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have children. In other words, build families. And and have your children have children. So build multi-generational families. And as you multiply and, and be fruitful, I want you to fill the earth so that your groups of families will become communities. I want you to learn how to live in relationship with one another. And the more that you learn how to live in relationship with one another, the more you will like life. Because key number one to life is relationships. Key number two to life is productivity. You know, I wrote down these, I wrote down this simple sentence in my notes. And that is, God was saying to Adam and Eve, be a contributor, not a consumer. You understand the difference between those two? He was saying to Adam and Eve, leave the earth, leave the world, leave your family, leave your community, leave wherever you are better than where you found it. Govern. Yeah. Improve. And so he was saying, be productive as you live. And by the way, those two keys have never changed. You show me a happy person, and I will without a doubt show you a person who is building relationships, two-way relationships that benefit both people, healthy relationships, and I'll show you somebody who's found something worthwhile to do with their life, and it's something that they invest in that's outside of themselves, and because they are continually working for the betterment of other people, they enjoy getting up every day. It's not really about them. They understand that the best in my life that could possibly happen is for me To work in ways that benefit and help other people. That's when I pillow my head at night and feel good. And do that over and over and over again. But the less I do that, 
and the more self-absorbed I become. Even like this morning, there are many reasons to come to church. But if you walked in the doors of this building today, and the thought in your mind was this, there'll be many people at church today, some there for the very first time, and some of them will be a little intimidated by the building, by the people. They've never heard the worship music before. They've never heard the pastor before. They may not even know anybody in this church. I will come with eyes to to look for people like that. I will draw next to them, and I will make sure that they feel at home here. There will be other people who come who have had a very, very tough week. Some may even have lost their jobs in this week or lost their home or suffered some great financial setback. Or maybe they sat across from the doctor and the doctor diagnosed them with some disease that's that's life-threatening. There will be some here this morning who are dealing with very serious issues. I will come and I will look for those people. There will be other people who come here who maybe got a job this week after months of not having a job. And they're going to come and they're going to be walking a little bit off the ground and they're going to feel light as air. And and I will look for those people and I will rejoice with them. And I will be grateful uh, for what God has done in their life. But whatever, when I come to church, I'm always looking for other people and I'm looking for ways to connect with other people so that their life might be more enjoyable. And more filled with happiness. Now I'll tell you, if you come to church that way, virtually every church service you go to is a great one. But if you come with the opposite mindset, let's see if anybody's going to talk to me this morning. When that Pastor Bob gets up and tells everybody to greet, I'm going to stand right where I am and see if anybody comes. Man, enjoy standing. People will probably come and greet you and probably spoil the whole thing. But you know, the bottom line is, the more it's about you, the less life is really enjoyable. Yeah. So that's what Jesus said. I mean, that's what God said to Adam and Eve. There they are, relationships and productivity. Works well for two chapters. All right? Let's proceed to Genesis chapter 3 and see what happens. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals the Lord God had made. And one day he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve goes, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. For God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will what? Yeah, something's going to happen on the inside you're not going to like. He goes on to say, the serpent said, you will not die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be what? Like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. You know what Satan said to Eve? The key to life is not relationships. It's not productivity. The key to life is power and God's holding out on you. Don't you want that power? Don't you want that ability to know right from wrong? Don't you want the power to be like God? You see, the problem, Adam and Eve, is you don't have enough power in order to enjoy life. You could enjoy life if you had more power. In other words, more power is always better, right? 
Well, they bit it. And guess what? They got the power meter. Do you realize that prior to that little statement right there, Adam and Eve had never had a power meter? Adam never woke up in the morning and said, I wonder if Eve's more powerful than me. Eve never woke up in the morning and said, I wonder if Adam's more powerful than me. Eve never woke up in the morning and said, I wonder if these shoes are good enough. Obviously, if you've read, you know she didn't wear shoes, right? But what's maybe even more important is Eve never looked in the mirror and wondered how she compared. It was this wonderful world in which there, no one had a power meter and no one was ever trying to read anybody else. But from that point on, the power meter was on and running. And they got it to the point that they passed it on to their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. And because you and I have descended from Adam and Eve, we've got it. And it works, and it works well, and sometimes it works over time, even to the point that for many people, the power meter becomes our God. It's how we determine everything in our lives. By the way, if I were to come to you and say to you, would you agree with me that whatever makes the major choices in your life is really your God? Would you agree with that? Of course. Yeah. Do you know that there are people who choose their mates by their power meter? Think about that. This lady would look good on my arm. It's my trophy wife. Ever heard that statement before? Yeah, I put the power meter up to her and it peaks. I got to marry that woman. Wow. You think about that for a minute. Now, let's go all the way back to our story of Jesus and the disciples. And let's look at the power meter that's on. And then let's look at how Jesus turns the power meter off. The power meter is on. Here's what the Bible says. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. You know what's amazing about this? We never think about this, but the disciples took their power meter to church. Didn't they? And it's so easy for us to take our power meter to church. So they looked at each other and they said, is following Jesus a good thing? Yeah, I wonder which one of us is the best at it. You know, if we were to take a poll of Jesus, there's 12 of us right here, because there were 12 of, of his apostles there. I wonder which of us 12 would be the greatest. Now I want you to write this down, because here's something very interesting about every human power meter. Unlike most meters that have a scale and one needle, the human power meter tends to have no scale on it but two needles. You ever wonder why? Here's why. Because I'm not really interested in actually how powerful I am. I just want to know I'm more powerful than you. Were the disciples arguing about who was the greatest person in the whole world? No, they were only concerned about what? 
the group of 12, and who had the most power in the group of 12. And that's how our power meter works. We want to make sure that we stack up well with the people who are immediately around us. And when we walk into a room, no matter what room that is, we get a power reading and we begin to figure out where we fit in the pecking order in that room. Watch any group of human beings and you see that happen over and over and over again. Because we have a needle on ourselves for our own perceived power level. And we quickly take readings of everyone else in the room to see how we can stack up. And the amazing thing is, we invest billions as a human race in order to get a greater reading out of our power meter. Could be our clothes. Could be our hair. It could be our education. It could be the house we live in. It could be the car that we drive up in or the motorcycle that we ride. Or you think about that for a minute, you get a lot of insight. It's pretty amazing stuff that teaches us to be in competition. Well, the disciples, man, they had the power meter on and running, and it was in full tilt. They were reading everybody around. So what does Jesus say when he walks up and he knows their thoughts? By the way, it doesn't say they said it out loud to Jesus, does it? says he knew. I wonder how come they didn't. Well, they weren't dumb. Can you imagine standing in the presence of Jesus and arguing about which of us was the greatest? Well, they knew better than that. So as soon as Jesus started walking up, the conversation changed. But Jesus was still back on the conversation they had just had. And he looks nearby, and no doubt they were in some marketplace somewhere, and there was... There were some children running around and playing, and he called one of the little children to him as an object lesson. And watch how Jesus turns the power meter off. He takes a little child. Now, by the way, the emphasis in that passage is on the word little. This was not a teenager. This was not a pre-teenager. This was a small child, one that was still naive. One that didn't have its power meter in full scale yet. One that was still relatively innocent about all of life and wasn't always, you know, wasn't always measuring, looking down at their shoes going, I wonder if these shoes are good enough for this setting, for this culture. Are you kidding? They, They could wear one shoe of one color and another shoe of another color, right? And they could have the left shoe on the right foot and the right shoe on the left foot and their shirt on backwards and their pants unzipped, no problem. That's, yeah, because they're not continually sizing up. Jesus brings a kid like that, puts him right in the middle and says, Exhibit A. In fact, only exhibit. Why a little child? I want to give you just two statements. And these two statements you will often hear from the lips of a little child and they exemplify the two attitudes that you and I absolutely have to have if we're going to be successful in life. And when we get these and we fully get them and we embrace them fully and we begin to live around these two tiny little two-word statements, it's amazing how our life will change. And the first statement is this. I can't. 
Do little children ever say that? Daddy, carry me. I'm tired. No, 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 you can walk. No, I can't. Our daughter Lisa was telling me the other day she took her kids down to the beach and they went on a hike. And the hike turned out to be a little longer than she had anticipated on the way there. So they hiked to where they were going and on the way back, Silas, little four-year-old, says to his mother, Mommy, carry me. She goes, Silas, you too big. You're a big boy now. You're four. I need you to walk. I'll hold your hand, but I need you to walk. Okay. So he's walking. His shoulders are all slumped over. And along the way, he says to his mother, she goes, Silas, are you out of breath? No, but my feet and legs are. (laughs) It's just so normal for, for little children to say, I can't. Are they threatened by the fact that there's something they can't do? Do they feel like less of a person because somehow they feel too tired or too weak to walk? And do they kind of beat themselves up by, oh, I can't. It's just another thing in life I can't do. No, they recognize that it's normal for human beings to have limitations and they're pretty keenly aware of what their limitations are. And so they say, I can't. It's not until we get to be adults that we feel like we have to pretend that we can do everything. And that when we say, I can't, somehow that makes us less of a human being. Or less worthy, or less valuable, or less whatever. So we spend time in the smoke and mirrors thing, kind of pretending that we can do just about everything in life. Or no somebody who can do that, but we can get it done. The disciples. When it came to following Jesus or anything else in life, their standard answer was, I can. Yeah, I can. And Jesus said, no guys, if you want to start in life and expect a good finish, You have to begin from the premise of, I can't. By the way, in so many different ways, that was illustrated for all of us this morning in the worship that we had and in what Bob spoke to us about. You see, it's normal and natural for us to realize that we've sinned and messed up our lives. And one of the more natural things to do is then come to God and say, okay, God, I can make this right. You wait till you see how many times I go to church. You wait till you see how much I do. You wait till you see how much good I do in my life. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, God, I can make this up to you. You know what God says? Give up on that deal. Just say, I can't. Much as I'd like to, I can't possibly undo all that I've done. I need forgiveness for it, but I can't possibly undo it. And that's okay. What's the second statement that children make? I love this one. We can. You ever listen to a little kid? 
Me and my dad, we can build a house, can't we, dad? He doesn't even know his dad maybe has never hammered a nail in two boards. But as far as that little kid is concerned, he and his dad can do anything. Yeah, me and my mom, we could grow 100-pound watermelons, can't we, mom? We can do... Kids think that with them and their parents, they can do anything. Guess what? Jesus said, guys, look at the exhibit. This is what God says. When you come to God and you say, God, I can't. I'd like to. You know I've tried, but I can't. So I'm coming to you. But God, here's what I believe. With you and me, we can. With you, I can be forgiven. With you, I can be different. With you, I can be changed. With you, we can make a difference in this world. With you, we can make a difference in this community. God, with you, we can make a difference in our family. God, with you, we can make a difference in our marriage. With you, we can make a difference in our finances. God, with you, as Jesus would say later to these same twelve, with God, all things are possible. By the way, it doesn't say with God, all things are easy, does it? What does it say? With God, all things are possible. And it's the simple lesson of a child. And on this 5th of July, the first day of the rest of our lives, what God would have each of us do this morning is look inside and say, not how childish am I, okay? How childlike am I? Is my power meter always running? Do I make financial decisions based on my power meter? Do I interact with other people based on my power meter? Did I bring my power meter to church? Do, do, is my power meter my God or am I willing to switch it off and set it aside and say the keys to life are not power. The keys to life are relationships and productivity. And when I get up in the morning, look at the relationships of my life and say, how can I invest in the relationships of my life and make them good and healthy and sound and solid? And look at my world and say, of the people in my world and even of the things in my world, how can I leave my community, my family, and and, and my world better than how I found it? What productive things can I do today that will actually make a difference? And then busy myself with those. As I do that, Jesus said, now you're onto something because you recognize it's not about how great you are. It's just recognizing the truth. This is the reality check. By myself, I can't. But with God, we can. I have a quote I want to read you as we close. Around A.D. 135, a fellow by the name of Aristides, 
who was named after an ancient Greek philosopher, made a presentation to the emperor Hadrian, who is the emperor of Rome. And it's found many places in secular history. And I just want to read it to you because it speaks so centrally to the core of what Christians are to be. Now you have to realize at this point in time, when this was written, Christians were being pretty much universally persecuted, thrown into prison, and killed for their faith pretty much throughout the entire Roman Empire. And so Aristides writes this to the, to the emperor. It's the Christians, O emperor, who have sought and found the truth, for they acknowledge God. They do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do to another what they would not wish to have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them, and in this way they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. Now listen to this this next statement. They live in the awareness of their smallness. Wow. Any of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as a real brother, for they do not call one another brothers out of the flesh, but they know that they are brothers in the Spirit and in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of his needs. If possible, they set him free. If anyone among them is poor or comes into want, while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast two or three days for him. And in this way, they can supply any poor man with the food he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life for the Christians, and it is their manner of life. You know, as I read that, I was really challenged. I was challenged because, you know, I was, I thought, that's kind of like a mirror. I should look at myself in that. And I think that's a challenge that that God wants us to have today and wants me to leave with you. And that is, is that your rule of life? Is that how you live? And if not, then we have the opportunity on this 5th of July to say, God, that's what I want to do. And I've been, I've been made aware of the fact that my power meter is running. And even though I try to make it a Christian power meter, those two are oxymorons. There is no such thing as a Christian power meter. For Jesus said, whoever is going to be greatest among you must become the least. Turn that thing off and get tuned back in to what's really important in life. I want to lead us in a prayer and then the worship team is going to come and sing a song that just kind of drives the message um, home. Because it points us to the fact that it's in Christ alone that we find our purpose in life. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful teaching that you gave to the twelve as they argued um, <laughs> kind of like little kids who who were not aware that any adults were really listening. And they got in their childish things about who's the greatest. No, I think I'm the greatest. And and yet, God, you know, you know how many times 
we don't say those things, but we either wonder them or that's a conversation that goes on in our hearts and minds, even though we never say it. And because of it, it puts us in competition with the people around us and we want to make sure that we're on solid ground and maybe more solid ground than anybody around us and we want to make sure we stack up well. God, would you deliver us from that, that we could be people who just love others, who are aware of our smallness, who are aware that we can't, but with you, we can. God, would you help us to live in such a way that those around us recognize that it's in Christ alone that we find the strength to do and to be all that you've called us to. I pray in his name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.